The Not Most People podcast is for those who despise mediocrity, reject the status quo, and challenge conventional wisdom. Join host Bradley Roth and discover what separates the winners, outliers, and standouts from most people. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Not Most People podcast. This is a show for those allergic to mediocrity, groupthink, and following the status quo. This is your host, Bradley. And before we get into today's episode, just want to quickly thank you guys for sharing the show, for listening. It's continuing to grow completely organically, thanks to you. And I would just ask that every episode that you enjoy or that you get value from, you share with someone else. Because if you enjoyed it and you got something out of it, chances are people you know are going to get the same. So that's all I ask. If you don't love the episode, don't share it. right? But if you do, that's all I would ask. If you're not subscribed yet, make sure you subscribe. New episodes or guest episodes coming out every Monday. So keep your eyes on that. And then I'm not going to get into it right now, but we got a bunch of cool stuff going on with not most people outside of just the podcast. So If you want to check that out, if you want to hop on the email list, if you want to check out the podcast launch course that just came out, all of those things are going to be located in the show notes. So make sure you guys check that out. And once again, thank you all. I appreciate every single listen and share and review out there. So I'm going to get into today's episode with someone who uh, I've gotten to know pretty well over the last few months. So this should be a lot of fun. His name is Matthew Rhoda. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you, brother. I'm super stoked to be here. And I got to say, you've had some serious players and heavy hitters on the show. So I feel a little unqualified, but I'm, <laughs> I'm extremely excited to be part of it. Um, I appreciate that. And uh, don't sell yourself short. I'm sure this is going to be a great episode for people. So a little bit of background. Matt is the founder and co-owner of Rhoda Marketing and HireTheBestRoofer.com, which are both digital marketing companies. And he's also an author, a fitness enthusiast, an ultra runner, a freedom-loving patriot, a borderline conspiracy theorist, which I can't (laughs) wait to talk about, and a dedicated family man. He has a uh, loving and beautiful wife, Helen, two precious daughters, Caroline, who's a little over three, and Amelia, who's about one and a half, as well as two energetic dogs, Athena and Buddy Boy. That's a great name. Uh, When he isn't spending time with his family or working on his business, you can find him in his home gym training for upcoming ultra events, which include 50 plus mile races. So a lot of really cool stuff going on. It almost sounds from that, like you're living the prototypical American dream, right? I'd like to think I am. Yeah. I do my best to, you know, running your own business, Yep, kind of the picture perfect family almost, but I want to ask, was it always like that or how, how did you get here? What's kind of that backstory? Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely wasn't always like this. Uh, it took a lot of pain and suffering to get to this point. Growing up, I was, it was a, it was the average upbringing, you know, two parents um, went to a private school, was into sports, team captain, um, very focused on sports growing up. My dad was always our coach and we'd play ball in the backyard with the neighborhood kids. So growing up, it was like the stereotypical, you know, good family that I grew up in. So I was very fortunate with that. Early in high school, I started to lose interest in sports, started smoking weed with some friends. And that pretty much, you know, and I guess beginning of sophomore year, uh, end of freshman year during summer, beginning of sophomore year, 
started smoking weed with some friends and that took me down a totally different path. So sports definitely took a backseat. I still played basketball through high school, but I was like, I was, I went from team captain to bench warmer, just was not passionate about it all. Um, so did pretty much every drug you can think of through high school, minus a few of the hardest ones out there. Didn't get into a lot of trouble in high school. I don't know how. I was almost told I can't graduate because I failed two drug tests like three months before graduation. And they were like, you're you're not walking with your class. And one of my uncles was like a pretty powerful attorney. And he was like, we were like, we're going to call him and he's going to like make sure I get to walk. So the, the school kind of backed down. So mm. that was high school. I got decent grades. Didn't really care about much. Just like to hang out with my friends, party. Uh, then I went to college. And just got more into extreme drugs and partying. Um, again, I always managed to get decent grades. So I graduated with a 3.1. So I was a good student, like a decent student. So I wasn't getting into too much trouble at that point. Again, I'm not sure how, because what I was doing was definitely stupid shit. And then end of sophomore year in high school, got arrested for selling drugs on campus, uh, got kicked out of college. And I was, it's a kind of a funny story. I was working a summer job and like, I hated it. And I would, I was able to take naps, like at certain points during the day when I should have been working. Cause I was like, it was construction and I was working inside mobile homes and I was supposed to be painting and I was off site and I knew there was no one around. So I would be like, I'll take a three hour, like a two hour nap. So I would lay beside the bed and just take a nap, but I just hated it. So during that summer, I was like, this is not what I want the rest of my life to be. And like, if I'm out of college, like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. So I wrote a heartfelt letter to the Dean of Students at the time. And was just like, listen, I know I made a huge mistake. But if you let me back into school, I promise, like, I'll, I'll make you proud. I'll do all the right things. Like, I'll, I'll be something in life. And I really didn't think she would buy it. And I didn't really know if I meant it. But like, I was like, it's worth a shot. And she emailed back and was like, you know, come to campus and let's talk. So I drove the hour and a half just back to school from where I lived talk to her. She was like, I've never done this before, but like, I'm going to give you a second chance. She's like, so you can come back, you know, for your junior year, but like, you got to live off campus, which was the plan anyway. So she let me back in. I, you know, I'm a dick for saying this, but like, I still did drugs. Like I definitely didn't learn my lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, got in a lot of trouble. Then I got arrested for breaking into someone's car, stealing their wallet, emptying money out of their ATM. Cause they had their pin on their card, like stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was a month before I turned 18, thank God, because I was 17. So I was still a minor. I had to get an attorney. He basically said like, Hey dude, if you would have done this two weeks later as an 18 year old, you would have been an adult. You'd be serving time. Like you'd be doing like some serious time in prison because Mm -hmm. the amount of money that you withdrew and how you broke into someone's car. Um, so high school, college, like a definite shit show, like to sum it up after college, similar stuff. Like I stopped doing all the hard drugs, but I moved out to California to live with a buddy who was in San Diego and just kind of like, again, worked a corporate job, party, like having fun, did that for two years and got fired from that job because they were laying everybody off because they were bought by another company. And that was the, one of the greatest blessings in disguise because they gave me a two month severance. So mm-hmm. I took that time to be like, I don't want to go back into corporate America. So I answered an ad on Craigslist for a guy who wanted help with writing um, and it has always been a passion of mine to write. So I, I ended up working in his company, did that for a couple of years. Long story short, I fell in love with entrepreneurship, fell in love with owning a business and running a business. So I, I took those skill sets that I learned called my brother, who was still back in Pennsylvania at the time, graduating from college. And I was like, hey, Adam, if I move back home, you know, do you want to start a business together? And he was like, yeah, because I really don't want to look for a job. He's like, so if you're offering like an opportunity, let's do it. So 
that was 2010. We started uh, what's now Road of Marketing. So we've been doing that for 11 years, going into our 12th year. Still smoked weed pretty much through the first couple of years of doing that. And then eventually met my, who's now my wife. Um, I'm, I'm an open book. So on our first date, I was like, here's every, it was a blind date. I was like, here's who I am. Here's what I've done. Like, here's what I'm currently doing. Like, here's what I want to do. And pretty soon she was like, listen, like it's once she found out I was smoking weed, she was like, it's me or it's drugs. She was like, I'm a teacher. Like I can't be around drugs. Like if you're doing drugs, like you're out. Um, and like, by the grace of God, it was the easiest decision I ever made. And I, I went home that night, gave my bag of weed to my cousin. I was like, I'm done smoking. Um, haven't touched it since. Haven't touched any drugs since then. Now married for the, the I should know this, that third <laughs> or three or four years. Um, we'll edit that out. Two, yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and two beautiful girls. So it yeah. was a long journey from 16 to about 33, 34, but the last four or five years have been incredible. Um, I'm extremely blessed and, and thrilled with where my life's at at this point. Wow. That's pretty wild. So you, yeah. you did end up graduating. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Graduated in four years. So I have two older sisters, a younger brother, both of all three of them took like four and a half or five, five and a half or six years. So the, like the running joke is like, I got kicked out of college and I still graduated <laughs> in four years and they're like, you're an ass. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like that's kind of how I roll. So I get to poke fun at them for that. It's funny. It's so you were basically like a high functioning drug user for a long time, right? Yes. And yeah. It's it's interesting. I almost find a correlation between people who are very smart and can kind of like get away with that and yeah. those kind of behaviors almost. Yep. Yeah, I always say like I wouldn't take any of it back because it taught me so much. Um mm-hmm. and it like there's book smarts and there's street smarts and like it taught me street smarts and like how to navigate the system kind of how to play the game of life, mm-hmm. um, which in my opinion, and I, I wouldn't wish anybody to go down the specific road that I went, but in my opinion, like that street education and like that figuring it out for yourself and getting into trouble and out of trouble is way more valuable when it comes to like succeeding in life than I got an A on my geometry test. Like good for you, but like that's not going to translate into mm-hmm. building your own business or, you know, functioning at high in society. So I'm really, really happy with my path, even though it it dealt with and, and involved a whole lot of crap that I put my parents through and girlfriends at the time and all that stuff. Mm. So it's cr- kind of crazy that you met your wife and was it like the first date she said, you got to stop this? No, or was it wasn't, it like a little ways in? She, yeah, it was a little ways in. She didn't know on the first date. Like I, I told her I wrote a book uh, in that book. I, I shared almost everything that I just shared, you know, in my mm. intro there. So I gave that book to her. Uh, so she knew like kind of what I was into at the, at least in the past. Um, and then I remember it was probably like our third or fourth date. And I, I think I said, I was like, yeah, like I'm going to smoke like a joint on the way home or something like that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, like I wasn't high when I was with her, but like, it was like, as soon as I get in my car to drive home, I'm like, sure as heck, I'm going to light my bowl or smoke my joint. Um, and I remember it was just like, she was like, you do what? And like, still, and I was like, oops, like, yeah, <laughs> you kind of assume that, but like, I guess you didn't. Uh-huh. Um, and at that, it was very quick. It was like, it's me or it. And it was like, okay. And I, I don't even think I smoked on the way home. I think I was just like, you know what? Like I'm done. Like I, it just clicked. Like we, we knew each other for three months and I ended up asking her to marry me like in month four. So it was just kind of one of those things that it was like, like the stars aligned and I knew. So that's funny. If my fiance listens to this, she's going to give me a hard time because it took a little longer. (laughs) I know. Sorry. Sorry to all the guys out there in advance that (laughs) just set you up for failure, but yeah. Right. Uh, 
That's great. So until she said that, had you even had any desire or had you tried to quit? Oh yeah. Over and over and over again. So in high school, I got caught multiple times, like by the school, by my parents. I remember coming home and like my bowl was sitting on the kitchen table and I'm like, Oh shit. Like, here we go. Mm -hmm. My mom like picked it up and threw it not at me, but pretty close at me, like shattered on the wall behind me. Um, and I would always like, you know, they did such a good job bringing up like their kids. And like, I, I had no reason to do what I did. Mm -hmm. Um, so I like I certainly like felt bad that I was doing that to them because like you know they're both very like faith driven and like they never touched drugs growing up so it's not like I I felt like this like I fell off that tree with them um, and I remember even in high school saying to my mom like don't give up on me like this isn't who I am like this isn't who I'm going to always be um, it's just the phase I'm going through and like I I know I shouldn't be but I'm choosing to like I've always been like yin and yang and like the duality of life. Like I always have saw myself being a fuck up and wanting to stop, but enjoying what I was doing. So not stopping. Um, so yeah, there, and there were times in like high school and college, I'd be like, all right, I'm quitting. And I'd quit for like a week. And then I'd be like, I'm just going to smoke on weekends. And then I'd smoke on a Saturday. Then I'd smoke on Sunday. And then Monday would roll around and be like, I'm just going to fucking smoke again on Monday. And like, and it would just be this revolving slope. Yeah. yeah. Like, and so I, even now, like I, the reason I, I drink like once a year, maybe, um, alcohol was a big part of high school and college too. Mm -hmm. I just know I have that addictive personality. So I don't say I'm like a, I'm an alcoholic or I'm a drug addict. Cause like, I don't, that's not my identity, but I do have an addictive personality and I can recognize that in myself. Um, so I basically replaced, you know, drugs and alcohol with love of my wife and my love of now my love of fitness. So I've just kind of like mm -hmm. switched it to a healthy version of addiction, but interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so interesting how hard it can be for people to stop doing something when it's just on them. Yeah. And then someone else comes into the picture or some sort of outside yep. influence and it becomes that easy. A, like, yeah. Yep. yeah. That was a, a flick or a switch that just got flicked. And I was like, all right, this is easy. Yeah. And that's how I was with certain drugs. Like I, you know, I, again, I did so many different drugs and like I would do, I smoked cigarettes. And at one point I was like, I'm done smoking cigarettes. And I just stopped the next day and never touched them again. And people were like, mm. how did you do that? And like, I just chose not to. And then like, you know, some really hard drugs were part of my situation. I was like, I'm just done with that. So like, I would stop that. But like, weed was a constant, like I would go mm. through every drug you can imagine, but weed was always like my go-to, like, even if I stopped that. that other one, I would at least have my weed, which was like my comfort zone. So I had the ability and that's why I knew like I had the ability to stop when I wanted, if I wanted, I just was choosing not to. And then when my wife at the time, my girlfriend was like, you better stop. I was like, perfect. Like now I have a reason to stop because I want this way more than I want that. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like I've been actually meeting more people lately, like entrepreneurs who like weed is their crutch. Yeah. Like they like at the end of every day and yep. on the weekends, it's, they're like, well, I can function without it. It's not harming me. It's not really addictive, but yeah, it still, I think, holds you back if you're doing all the time from achieving what you could be achieving. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then growing up, you know, my mom's like, you're addicted. And I'm like, shut up. Like, you can't be addicted to weed. Like, you can get addicted mm -hmm. to heroin and cocaine, but like, you can't be addicted to weed. And then once I quit, like, I 100% was addicted to it. Like, I would roll out of bed, yeah. smoke. It was, and I was just having this conversation with my buddy, I think last week when I was going for a run. And I was like, 
physi- like physiologically or physically, like, I don't know how that all works. Like maybe I wasn't technically addicted with my body, mm-hmm. um, like craving it and stuff. I was like, but from a mental standpoint and a habit standpoint, like I was 100% addicted to the habit of smoking weed at certain times of the day before certain events before, like it was absolutely a habitual thing that I, that I bodied. Um, so yeah, anyone that says like, and like personally, I have nothing against weed. Like, I think it's a magical plant that God had given us and has given us and Mm -hmm. used strategically and in small amounts and like with responsibility by all means. Like, I think it's safer than alcohol. That was my thesis in college was like, why weed should be legal and alcohol should be illegal. And my professor was like, are you really submitting this? And I was like, yeah, I fucking am because I believe it. Like, in hindsight, I think, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would never bash someone that smokes it or does any drugs because right. I've been there, done that. But if you're using it as a crutch and you can't get through a day without it, or you feel like your day is not complete without it, then I'd say, look in the mirror because you're probably struggling with some type of physical addiction or just habit forming addiction. And like you said, you could probably be achieving more if you didn't, you know, from 8 PM to 11 PM every night, look forward to that smoking, relaxing. Mm-hmm. You could be reading a book. You could be working on your business, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that 8 PM eventually becomes 7 PM and then 6 PM. And yeah, yep, exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. There's, and I think it's one of those things that sneaks up on people because people are like, well, it's not physically addictive. Well, it's like, yeah, okay. Maybe you aren't going to experience withdrawals, but there's a lot of things that we can rely on mentally. Yep. You're like, oh, I only, I only speak well when I'm on caffeine or, you know like, yep. what I mean? Like all yep. these different things. I can only study if I take Adderall again, right. like teach their own, but like, eh, yep. like you could probably learn to study without it. And again, like some people have conditions where you have to have it again, fair enough, mm-hmm. but the general population uses it for all the wrong reasons and then thinks they need it when they really don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you quit weed for good. Yep. Yep. You get engaged. Yep. You're starting in a business or you had started a business at that yeah, point? Yeah, I was already at that point. I was probably six or seven years into our business. Yeah. Mm, yep. Okay. And so was it right after you quit that, that your serious fitness journey started? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think the, I can do the math. It's probably right around that time. So I know it was kind of like meet my girlfriend at the time, quit smoking weed. And then my brother-in-law invited me to do a Spartan race. Or actually the first thing I ever did was a tough mutter. And I remember doing that, loving it, but waking up the next day and like not being able to get out of bed because every fiber and nerve on my body was on fire. And I was like, this is awful. But I was like, this is incredible. Uh Um, And then he invited me. He's like, if you like that, we should do a Spartan race. So I remember then doing a Spartan race probably like three months later and being like, holy shit, that was even cooler than the tough mutter. Like that really hurt. Like I enjoy that suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that kind of like led to, okay, if I'm going to do these types of things, like I should train. Um, and my wife, she'll laugh when she listens to this, but like she dated a guy in high school who was like a wrestler and like super jacked with like thick arms and like, you know, well-built. Mm-hmm. And at the time I wasn't like skinny, skinny, but I was kind of like this, a skinny dude, like had some muscle, but I was like, okay, like, you know, I could, I could compete with that. So it was kind of like an ego thing where I'm like, you know, she dated him. Like I could be that, you know, too. So but yeah, and then just like lifting weights and doing runs to prepare myself for these races I was signing up for. And then just snowball effect of like, just like drugs, like a, I have to force myself to not work out certain days of the week or a day mm-hmm. each week for recovery, because I get that like, kind of like an anxiousy, like pent up energy where I'm like, I just want to go lift or like, I just want to go for a run. But I'm like, Matt, today's the day to recover. Like, 
don't be a freaking addict, like take it easy, like calm yourself uh-huh. down. And I forced myself to do that, but I absolutely look forward to it every day. How long did it take you to create that kind of self-awareness to where you were consciously replacing these old habits with these new ones or realizing that you did? It was probably pretty instantaneous. Yeah. Um, just because I knew once I said, once I chose Helen over drugs, when she gave me that ultimatum, like I was fully aware that like, okay, now that I made that decision, like I have to stick to that decision because mm. I wasn't going to like choose her or say no to drugs and then sneak drugs back into my life and just lie to her because yeah. that, that like shitty life and shitty foundation, if I wanted to move forward with like a future and forever with her. Um, so I pretty much knew right away that like, okay, this is, this is a big decision that I'm about to make. And I just made, and then fitness really soon after that kind of fell into place. And just my love of that fitness like consumed me. So it was, it was pretty much like, oh, this is kind of cool that like, and it, the beautiful thing. And like, you've had people on your podcast too. And I've like listened to other podcasts where they always say like, don't quit something without being able to replace it with something mm-hmm. else. So it was very easy for me to quit it because I replaced it with something else. And I think when I tried to quit in high school and college, I never had a replacement for it. It was just like, okay, I won't smoke weed today, but I'm still going to do everything else that I always did without adding anything in new to replace that. Yeah. And I think that's why I failed. So quitting weed and drugs in general and replacing it with something, it that just became my new identity. And I like I I clinged on to that new identity and it helped move me forward on a daily basis and get me to where I'm at today. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like super crucial. You're never gonna just quit a habit, you're only gonna replace it. You know, like your mind, like whether it's video games, whether it's junk food, whether it's weed, whatever, doesn't matter. Like if you just say, okay, I'm going to step away, something's going to fill that void. And if it's not something else, it's just going to be that same thing again. Yep. You're going to revert back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting. Uh, And I want to talk a little bit about the dad bod movement. Okay. (laughs) Happy to. Yep. Because I think the classic timeline for most guys is they work out really hard when they're single, like they're in great shape, get into a serious relationship, start to work out a little bit less. Yep. Then you get married, you work out even less. You have kids, you work out even less if you're still working out at at all. all. Yeah. But it seems almost like you've done the opposite. Like your fitness has gone up and up as you've kind of hit each of those milestones. Yeah. And it just... Yep. It's interesting because it's yeah. so different than what it's different to what you normally see. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing. Well, there's plenty that annoys me more, but one of the things that annoys me in life, like you're flipping through a magazine and they're like, the dad bod is like the sexy bot of 2021. Like, like it's something you should like strive for. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like again. And I always say that like to each their own, like yeah. if, if you don't want to work out and you want to eat whatever, and like, and you're comfortable in your own skin and you're confident and you're happy and you're peaceful and you're fulfilled and you're given value to other people, like by all means, like live your best life. But to me, it's a cop out to some mm-hmm. degree that like, and like, I would guess most of those guys that are like, look at my dad bod, you know, they'd be like, if you could wave a magic wand and have that bod instead, most of them probably be like, yeah, I'll take that bond. Like I'd rather have yeah. that than mine. Yeah. So like that annoys me in some ways, but I just laugh it off, but I just, I refuse like for lack of a better way of putting it, like I refuse to be the stereotypical person that just goes down that path. And like, that's, that's the road we take. So that's the road Matt goes like, no, nah, I'm going to like forge my own road. I'm going to bushwhack through the jungle and find my own path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because it's such a big part of my identity now, and, and that identity has replaced all the other bad habits that I have, I'm sure there's going to come a day where like, 
fitness isn't as big a part of my life as it is now. And I'll, you know, I won't work out as much and I won't care as much about like adding muscle and losing fat, all the stuff that I concern myself with now. But at this point, I'm like, there's no way that I, and I just feel like it keeps me sharp. Like it keeps mm-hmm. me, it keeps me on point as a business owner. It keeps me on point as a dad. It keeps me on point as a husband, as a brother, you know, as a son, like as a friend, like it, it's part of what gives me the energy and the discipline that I need to be the best person I can be in all those different scenarios. So I don't see it ending anytime soon, but yeah, I, I have a couple of friends that are like, dude, what the hell? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to have the dad bod. And then like occasionally I'll like, I'll meet another guy or like, you know, a friend who's in the same boat as me and his kids and is married and like works out and like looks similar to me and like be like fist bump. We're like, yeah, dude, like this is how yeah. it should be done. Like mm-hmm. I, I do it also to like inspire my kids, like Mm -hmm. in, and they're one in three. So I know they don't fully grasp it, but like, so I built my home gym so they could see dad working out in the gym, you know, and seeing what activity looks like and what health looks like and what taking that seriously looks like. Um, and they come out and they get on their rower while I'm doing the ski erg and like, they obviously have no idea how to use the rower, but they sit (laughs) on the seat and slide back and forth. They're like, look at me, dad. And I'm like, it's beautiful. Like, I love it. Like you're so strong. You're so good. Like keep going. So I just want to pass that down to my children because to me, health is everything. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot in there. And I think, you know, the first thing you said was there, there may be some of those guys out there that maybe have the quote unquote dad bod and Mm -hmm. are kind of happy with their life. But I think it's pretty safe to say that most of them may say that out loud, you know, to make themselves feel better, but then are they really happy when they look in the mirror? Yeah. Yep. Know, because it's, do you, do you feel like you're really reaching exactly. your potential or, you know, that, and then that becomes your identity. Right. And yep. like you said, like dad bod for lack of a better term, it's kind of like being becoming soft almost right. Yeah, like physically exactly. soft. Yeah. Yep. And, and it's almost the opposite of kind of what I think you want to be for your kids, right? Like you want to Correct. look like a superhero to your exactly. kids, yep. you know? Yeah. And I, and I think that's something that's gotten lost for a lot of people Yeah, is yep. because there's this celebration. It's almost like a celebration of mediocrity. Exactly. Which drives me up a wall. Yeah. And that's yeah. what like, you know, I'm 38 now. We had our first kid when I was 35 and second kid when I was 37. And we'd like to have, you know, one more definitely if we're fortunate enough to, and mm-hmm. maybe a fourth after the third comes out, we see where life takes us. So I'm going to be the dad that like shows up to his kids. Eighth grade graduation is like 55 or like 50, 55 and like high school graduation, 60. And like, I say to my wife all the time, like, I'm going to like twofold one, I'm going to show up to those graduations and be the old guy, but be the best, like in the best shape in the room. Like there's going to be like the 30 year old dads that are like, Holy shit. Look at that dude with gray hair. He's jacked. And I'm like, yes, I am. And then I'm also, I have two girls. So I'm like, you know, when they're 16 or hopefully not too much before that, when they start dating, I'm going to be, you know, 50, 60. Like I want those young 16 year olds to walk up to my front door and see me open it and be like, Oh shit. Like that's her dad. Be like, yes, I am. Like Uh take care of her because like, this is who I am. Like, and not think that like I can get away with stuff because dad looks soft. Like, no, dad'll break your fucking legs. If you touch my daughter (laughs) in an inappropriate way without her permission. Like, so yeah, it's, there's so many reasons why I do it, but there's a, they're at the very, very top of the list and it'll keep me motivated for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think the dad bod kind of coincides with this idea of age and aging, right? And you're like, mm-hmm. 
and I, and I share this too. I want to be like in my fifties and be shredded still and like look yep. great. Cause I've seen guys who do it. It's possible do it. for yep. sure. Exactly. Yep. And it's like the whole dad bod thing. It's almost like earlier and earlier guys are like, Oh man, well, like I'm in my thirties. Like I'm past <laughs> my, yep. I'm past yeah. my prime. Like physically it's just all yep. downhill from here. I'm like, dude, you're, <laughs> you're 30. You're like 30. Yeah. most pro athletes hit their peak, like in their early thirties, yep. you know, like, yeah. Yep. And it's just, I, we can, we can get into this, but there's almost this correlation of this whole dad bod movement and this move towards celebrating kind of this mediocrity yep. in society and yep. health in general, and, and yep. almost kind of this whole distortion of what health really means over the last yeah. couple of years. So do you have any theories on kind of what's brought that all of that about? I mean, I, theories of what brought that about probably, but I, I, as you're saying that and about to say that in my head, I'm thinking it, the physical body is just a representation of like what the mind creates. So mm -hmm. the soft bodies, let's call them that mm -hmm. exist out there are because they're soft minds that created those soft bodies. So yeah. that's, that's what like concerns me the most. That's like when I think about society and the future of it and like the, the general direction that we're all head, not all, but a lot of people are heading. It's like, like you said, it's a celebration of mediocrity. It's like the participation trophy generation. It's like, mm -hmm. that, thank God, that's not how I was raised. And like, that's not how I'm going to raise my kids. Like, we're not going to raise our kids like that. Yep. And that's just, that's what scares me the most about our society is that, that it's like, and like, I'll say some stuff that probably offends some people now, but like, you know, you see the covers of magazines where it's like an obese human being. And they're like, this is beautiful. And I'm like, her soul, his soul may be very beautiful. And I'm not discrediting that. And their mm -hmm. spirit is beautiful. And as a human being, they're beautiful. And like, you know, their face is beautiful, but like carrying around that much excessive weight is not beautiful. And being at like high, high risk for diabetes and heart disease and like all the things that come with that, that's not beautiful. So to celebrate that and to put that on magazines and hold it on a pedestal and be like, this is what you should strive for. Like, no, it's not like health, physical and mental is what you should strive for. And that has a certain, I mean, you don't have to be shredded, but like you can't be, you know, 350 pounds on a five, six frame and expect other people to be like, yeah, you look beautiful because you're healthy physically. Like, no, you're not. So, mm -hmm. uh, man, theories as to why that's the case now. Yeah. I think they, it's not won. a simple question, but yeah, no, yeah. but I mean, I, I think here we go. Like the, <laughs> pa the powers to be that control a lot of what goes on and get off when that power greed and like the money that they make from sick people, big pharma, uh, they want a weak society that cannot stand up to them and is not even aware enough to know that we should be standing up to them and demanding change. Um, and there's money in unhealth, like they're, you know, a, an obese person is going to line the pockets of big pharma for years and years and years and years and years with different medications. Whereas I take nothing like, you know, thank you God. But like, it's also because of decisions I've made, like I'm not on any pills to like maintain my health. I take some supplements to like complement what I do, but like, I don't need anything for survival. Um, uh, yeah. So I just think it's, it's part of a sinister agenda for lack of a better way of putting it that the more weakness we can create the more we can control the people and the more we can control the people the more we can herd them in different directions to do what we want and at the end of the day 
it's because they want to keep their money. They want to keep their power. They're greedy, evil bastards. And until we take control of what we can control and then from their control, like take the control that they currently have that should be ours, nothing's going to change. So they're, they're sitting back there like laughing, like, you know, hitting their fingers being like, ha idiots. Like, like they're celebrating mediocrity. Perfect. Whereas like guys like us and you know, people that listen to your podcast, we're like, no, hell no. Like we're not celebrating that. Like we're breaking the mold and we're like demanding for our generation and the generations behind us follow us because there's a better way out there. And once we get that critical mass and that tipping point, we take back control. Like I, I very much look forward to that day because I want my kids to grow up in a world where that's the, that's reality and not what we're currently experiencing. Yeah. I think you really nailed it. You know, for the first part, what you said about celebrating someone who is obese Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's one thing to have a a few extra pounds maybe and that sort of thing and, you know, work on, you know, your identity and kind of being happy with yourself, whatever you want to call it versus being unhealthy and yeah. justifying that and saying that that's beautiful. Yeah. You know, cause really, I mean, I, some people are, I guess, attracted to that, right? Like some yeah. people that's their type and that's their thing. And, yep. you know, in that case that, you know, can kind of make sense, but generally speaking, it's the celebration or pushing of people towards bad health. Correct. And you've seen a direct correlation, like obesity rates in the United States are just continuing to climb. Yeah. I think it's over 40% now or something like that, which is just wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Which is wild. And yeah, don't quote me on that, but I feel like I, I saw that stat That's recently. A big number. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it's like people that are dying of COVID, yep. obese, unhealthy. Yep. So it's like, okay, if the government really cares about our health, mm-hmm. like why are we promoting that and not being like, here's ways to be healthy? Like it's, yeah, it's such a shit yeah. show right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what you said about government, big pharma, all that about making more money in health. You, you can't argue it, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, I know. that's yeah. just a fact really. Yeah. Like, like you said, medications granted, there are some people who are born with certain things that just Correct. need medication, but yep. the vast majority yeah. of medications out there are, I would say preventable. Yeah. You know, like, From like, self-inflicted yeah. decisions that they've made. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so someone like you and me, I've never been on anything and I can't even tell you last time I went to a doctor or the hospital or anything, uh, no no one's making money on me. They don't don't like you and me. Yeah. I was going to say they hate us because of it, but like, whatever, I'm happy. So yeah, but let's, you know, let's, uh, like, and it's interesting because I think, I don't know all the stats, but America has one of the highest obesity rates in the world, if not the highest. Right. And it's, you know, one thing is excess, which we could get into as well, excess and comfort and all that. And the other is there's almost a direct correlation between that and how big pharma is in the United States. Oh yeah. Right. It's, it's one of only two countries in the world where, uh, pharma is allowed to advertise. Yeah. The only other, other one is New Zealand. Part of me, like some, I remember it's high school or college where they're like, you know, watch TV and like record what you see or something like that, or take notes what you like. Part of me wants to do nothing other than watch TV, like cable for like a week, which I would never do, but like, Mm -hmm. and just like count, like take a tally, like, okay, like that's one pharma commercial. Okay, there's another one. And like at the end of a week, be like, I just got hit 
with like 325 like pills and big pharma commercials telling me that take this for this, but then watch out for this, 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 and this, and this, and this as a side effect. And you might die. Like, yeah. uh, no, like it, it, it blows my mind. Like we, you know, we watch TV, like we have cable and in the evenings we watch some junk TV occasionally. And like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's everywhere. And it blows my mind that like, it's the happy person swinging with the sun shining behind <laughs> and with their hair blowing in the wind as they're listing, like you might be paralyzed and you might have suicidal thoughts, but like that little patch of skin on your arm might clear up too. And it's like, there's probably healthier, like natural ways to clear up that little like patch of dry skin where I'm not going to be suicidal and I'm not going to die. But like people will watch that commercial and be like, she looks so happy. Oh, it's a quick fix. Like I don't have to like do any more research because the TV in the box told me to do this. I'm programmed. I'll go do that. Like it's just such a scary situation to to watch people fall into it. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. So we don't have, regular tv channels mm. well i guess we do because some come in on like this antenna or whatever but okay we stream everything yep. so rarely see any commercials but i remember we were home back home in the northeast like at my fiance's parents house for a little while a few months ago and it's one of the rare times where i'll like just watch tv and i was up late yep. i was watching like old sitcom reruns yeah know, king of queens or whatever uh, and yeah yeah <laughs> every Literally every commercial was some sort of prescription medicine. And I know like that's their demographic, right? Like who watches these old reruns late at night? Me and a bunch of probably older people. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm like, wow, this is like, it's just, you're inundated with it. And like you said, I think marketing and having a background and understanding of marketing Uh really opens your eyes to a lot of these things that, that, someone who's not in that space, it's harder to recognize like yeah, from a, yep. like every, everything. And I'm sure you do this too. Like everything you watch, every advertisement you see, everything that's constantly put in front of us every day. Yeah. We're like looking at it from the other side, like, Oh, here's, you know, what they're trying to trigger and here's the feeling they're exactly. going for. And, yep. and here's what the upsell is going to be and all this stuff. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And here's how they use this word instead of this one to kind of subtly influence yep. and like all these different things, music in the background. Yeah. yeah. And, yep. and it's, you know, these, these commercials, they all follow. It's, it's funny. They all follow the exact same formula, yeah, right? They they, like, yeah. yeah. Someone has a problem yep. and they, you know, you, they make you feel bad. And then it's one, which is narrated by one voice or the person talking. Yep. And then all of a sudden they go quiet and it shows new scenes of them having a good time, right? They're yep. cured of whatever ailment. And then yep. another voice comes in. Usually it's like a nice lady's voice soothing soothing voice yeah. and starts reading out all the side effects yeah yep. like you know oh may cause uh internal bleeding depression yeah. suicide uh you know consult your doctor all this stuff yeah. there's fine print on the bottom of the screen always yeah. Oh, yeah and it's just like every single one once you recognize it you're like oh my gosh it's like they're all exactly and it's the same. like it yeah it's the food we eat the water we drink the media we consume because i mm-hmm. like i see that stuff and i'm like who in god's name would ever watch that and be like Hey doc, can you prescribe me to this pill that like just told me I might be suicidal and die? But I mean, look at the like look at the numbers and look at society. Like big pharma is probably one of the richest industries in the entire world because people yeah. are falling for that shit like hook and sink like every freaking day across the country, twenty four seven. People see that and they're like, "Oh, awesome! Like there's a pill that can help me." Like 
no, don't go that route. But we're like, they just, they don't see it. And I, I feel bad for them, but I'm also like, mm-hmm. do your own research, like learn to use critical thinking skills, like all the basics of being an intelligent human being, like tap into your human intelligence. Like you have the ability to do so, but like it, it's, it's so multi-level. Like it's the food you eat, numbs you, the fluoride in the water, like all, all the above. Yeah. They, they program you to just accept the bullshit that they sell. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because this just kind of gave me a thought that I've never really, I guess, put together before, but that an under basic understanding of marketing makes you such a, I don't want to say just smarter person, but a more aware person, not just from a consumer, like you're, you're not going to be as likely to fall Uh right to certain things. Cause like I get inundated just like everyone else with Facebook ads that I'm like, oh man, that's, that's written really well. And if I wasn't aware of yeah, I yeah. wasn't aware of what was coming and I didn't understand it. Like I would yeah. be buying this and that yep. and the other thing. Yeah. And so yep. it makes you a better consumer and it also yeah. allows you to see kind of what these powers that, that be or whatever are doing mm-hmm. and how they're influencing. Like when I, yep. let's talk about mainstream media, right? Let's like the world news on mm-hmm. NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, CNN, whatever you yep. name it. Yep. You turn it on and it's, if you have a basic understanding of kind of copywriting and NLP and kind of these like subtler things, like you could, you could look at every headline, every article, and I can't even take it seriously. Like it's such a, (laughs) like I, I literally, I haven't watched it in forever. The only time I watch it is like I said, when I'm home visiting family, cause my, you know, my dad likes to watch the world news and I'm like, I get five minutes in, I'm like, I can't I this get stuff, out of this like, room. It's a joke. Yeah, yeah, like, that's how I am. Like I'm yeah, going to lose my shit if I watch this any longer. Yeah. Like it, and the average person, like I didn't get it for most of my life. So I'm not blaming yeah. people. Right. Like I didn't yep. start to really understand it until I started to kind of learn all these, you know, the psychology and NLP and, and copyright, like all these things yep. where, Oh, the, I can see how they're manipulating this statistic yeah. right? or how there's, they're kind of, you know, trying to make you afraid without explicitly saying you should be afraid yeah. or how they're positively or negatively portraying this person yep. without overtly doing it, you know, and there's exactly. all these like yeah. subtle things that you start to pick up on if you have this yeah. understanding. The so sense of what's going on. Yeah. Yep. And so I'm almost curious if your, your thought patterns around all of this correlated with your involvement in marketing as a business. So I think it's gotten more refined as I've developed like a marketing psyche and business, but I can tell you, uh, like some people are going to hear this and go, Oh my God, he just mentioned that author and whatever. Um, in 2000 and or 2001, nine 11 happened. Um, like two or three months after that, I read a book called dreaming war by Gore Vidal. And it basically was like, maybe you don't want to believe the narrative. It was like, maybe like there's some behind the scenes stuff going on where we're trying Mm -hmm. to like go into these countries and get some oil and like question stuff. And I was like, okay. And then that led me to a book, uh, a book called, and the truth shall set you free from David Ike or Icky. I'm not sure how to say his last name. I think Ike. Mm. And that book was like, it blew my entire world open. And like, it just, it blew my mind. It's like the red pill. Yeah, it definitely red pilled me. Um, so I'm so far back, like I'm so much into like 2001. So I'm like 20, 21 or 22 years into this, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, of like seeing things for what they are and not what I'm told they are. So 
And when I read that book, you know, I like, I went on like the top of mountains. I was like, there's, they're lying to us. Like there's truth and you need to know. And my girlfriend at the time was like, you're insane. My parents were like, you're out of your fucking mind. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, family was like, what are you talking about? So for years, probably, I probably talked about it for like three or four or five years. And it was like, no one else is talking about this shit. Like I'm the only one that thinks that like everything I see is like not everything, but like most of what I see is fake. Like Mm. we're being lied to constantly. So I just shut up and like, I went into a shell and like a hole and like, was like, I'm not going to talk about it because I don't want to be like labeled that crazy motherfucker that like everyone wants to avoid because you're going to start talking about aliens and like, (laughs) you know, lizards and shit like that. So I, I just shut up. And then I, I kept really, really quiet about all of it until COVID. Like, and I, I can tell you that hit and I, I sat down, I I broke down to my wife. Like I cried to her and I was like, I have to start sharing truth again. I was like, Mm -hmm. I can't sit back and watch humanity be lied to on this scale again. Like, cause it's like, I'm 20 years of like, we're being lied to. Um, And she was like, if you ever met my wife, she's very like, don't rock the boat. Like, (laughs) yeah. Don't want people thinking we're crazy. She's like, are you sure you're going to do that? You want to do that? Like, what are, and I was like, I have to, I was like, if you want me to be happy and me to be good for you, for us, for our family, et cetera, like I have to do this or you're going to get like a, a dumbed down, unhappy version of me as a dad, as a father. And like, it's just going to like sour everything. Like I have to start speaking as truth. So, you know, two years ago, whatever year and a half since this shit show is taking place, if you follow me on social media, like I just put it all out there again, but yeah, I mean, so I think I, it, I, and I say, that's why like, I feel bad for some people who can't see it because I think those who can have been blessed with that gift. I think Mm -hmm. to some degree, it is a gift that we've been given to see through the veil and to see the truth for what it is. And 20 years ago, I was absolutely like, I'm like, not like I'm gifted from God, but I was kind of like, this is unique. Like, I think I'm unique to be able to see this. It's because like social media, I don't even know if it existed in 2001, but like it was like people weren't, I felt alone for like five years. Cause like, I wasn't talking to anyone else that got it. I was just like, I'm just this like lone wolf. Who's like thinking way different than everyone else. So I, I kind of like, like I said, I balled up and like went into a hole. Um, and then when I decided like to, to come back out as a conspiracy theorist, um, <laughs> ever like i'm like holy shit like tens of millions of other people like see the truth now like it was so rewarding so back then i think it was a gift now i think it's our responsibility and Mm -hmm. it's an obligation and it doesn't take you know like the the grace of god to see through the lies because it's so obvious and all you have to do is want to see it and to choose to unplug to see it so i think it's part gift and blessing that i've been given, you know, 20 years ago, but then also through like marketing and sales and stuff like that, it just helped me like see and laser focus on it more and more. Yeah. And magnify and be like, okay, what I thought back then is absolutely true because I'm seeing it clearly and tens or hundreds of millions of other people across the world are seeing it clearly too. So. Hey guys, it's Bradley jumping in here to let you know that you have reached the end of part one of this special two-part episode with Matt Rhoda. So if you enjoyed this episode and you kind of like where it was headed, you're going to really enjoy next week's episode where we get even deeper into a lot of these topics, go down some fun rabbit holes, and kind of touch on a lot of hot button issues right now. So make sure you are notified for that by subscribing to the show if you have not already. And by turning on 
new episode notifications. So go ahead and do that. And then also, again, if you enjoyed the show, please make sure that you share it with someone. We grow the show one person at a time. Every listen, every download, every review matters. So just want to thank you guys for listening and for continuing to share and help grow the show. So that's it. We'll see you in the next one. And always remember, don't be most people.